Bienvenidos al Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. On this podcast, we explore the complicated challenges of being part of, serving in, and growing a migrant church in siglo XXI. As first-generation immigrants age out of their leadership and the Mestizo Church transitions to the second and third generation, how does the migrant church continue to thrive? What should a migrant church look like today? These questions and more will be explored together with your hosts, Omar Padilla and the Dr. Elizabeth Conde Frazier. Your hosts are Puerto Ricans, so you're going to hear some Spanglish de vez en cuando here on the Mestizo Podcast. It's part of who we are. On this episode, we sit down with Jeremy and Angelica Barahona to discuss their church plant efforts back home in West Palm Beach, Florida. We talk about why they returned home, why they chose to plant a new church called The Light, and the challenges they faced in planting. So sientas en casa, make yourself at home, and let's get started. Familia, saludos! Saludos, what's up? You know what I love this is, is the big show. This is the big show. <laughs> the big show. I was gonna say what I love about this show is you can tell the differences in where we are. Jeremy is rocking a hat. He's got his polo all the way buttoned up. You can tell my brother's in West Palm Beach for sure. <laughs> He's got the swagger. You gotta come correct, man. You gotta come. It's contextualization. <laughs> it's good contextualization. Elizabeth, ¿qué tal? How you been? Too busy, man. I, I, the summer's been wonderful. I take walks at night, but uh, I haven't had a vacation yet. So let's see what happens. Oh yeah, that that uh, heavy heavy is the crown, right? You 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 stepped into the presidential role, the the leadership role, and that that keeps you busy. It sure does. How about you? You know what? Outside of fighting Toby, which he will likely make an appearance in this episode today. Estoy, estoy en casa solo, así que Toby is going to be wanting my attention. But outside of fighting Toby, I'm good. I'm good. The summer's been good to me. Um, you know, we, we've had a lot of traveling and celebrating. I think the last time we recorded an episode was right before my anniversary. So it's been a good summer overall. Let me welcome those who are new to the show. Welcome to a mixed space, a space where we live in the hyphen. We like to say, lo que son ni de aquí ni de allá. We're excited that you're joining us. If you're here for the first time, let me recommend that you go back and listen to other episodes of the Mestizo podcast. You can hear from pastors, academics, theologians, poets, musical producers. We've got all sorts of guests on this show, activists that we've had on as well. There's a lot that's happened in the Mestizo podcast over the course of its three seasons. And if you've been a part of our conversation for all three seasons, or if you've been with us for a while, you know how important it is to subscribe to the show, especially if you're using things like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and to leave us a review. Uh, it really does matter. It helps the show to show up on more searches. It helps us to uh, get in the hands of more pastors and ministry leaders who might need to hear the show. And if you're not using those platforms, hey, take the podcast episode, Text it to a friend. Tell them, hey, you got to listen to this. This is really important, especially as it relates to the conversation we're having today. You can follow World Outspoken on social media, at World Outspoken on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also follow AETH. It's just at and then A-E-T-H usually pulls it up. Uh, and if you have questions about our conversation that we're having today, don't forget that you can leave us a message at 312-725-2995. That's 312-725-2995. 
leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, city, y pregunta, and we'll discuss it on the last episode of the season. You can also submit the question by typing it, typing it out if you use the link on the show notes. I know some of you don't really want to call in, so just send in the questions that way. And that's especially important because this is the last episode before we do the mailbag episode. So now is the time to get your questions in. All right, so the Mestizo podcast has had all these people. We've had theologians, we've had book authors, we've had historians, activists. What we haven't had yet are people who try to, to plant a church that reflects some of the ideals that we've discussed on the Mestizo podcast. We've never had someone say, you know what, I'm legit going to try this. And we've got a really special opportunity here today because we're talking to two church planters who are legit trying to plant a church that reflects that second and third generation of, of Latinos and migrants. And I'm excited to talk to y'all. I really am because what you're doing is, um, is unique. It's uh, challenging. You're, you're planting utterly new, right? Looking to grow in terms of bringing new believers to faith. It's not like just pulling in Christians from other places. And, uh, and you've been on quite the journey. Why don't we start with a simple question? When did you move back to West Palm Beach and, and how long have you been doing this work? What's the name of the work? Let's start with the easy thing. Yeah, well, I just, just wanted to say first, thank you to uh, the Mestizo Podcast, um, Ricky, um, Dr. Akanda Frazier. Uh, we, we, we fan over the show, we really do. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you for, for having us. So actually we moved um, a year from uh, August 3rd, which was this past Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been exactly a year almost yeah. since we since we moved. Uh, so you moved back from Chicago. You guys were both, I'm, I'm gonna cheek here and give insider information, but you were both a part of my church in Chicago, The Brook. Uh, Jeremy was an associate pastor there. And uh, is associate pastor the right role? The right name at The Brook? Yeah, I mean, we the right function. It's not the right name. It's not the right, not name, the right, the right function. When we first, so I was the pastor of multiplication. That was like when we were first planting. You try to be really cool. Um, <laughs> I, I came up with the name. It wasn't really that cool. Um, but I was essentially the associate pastor. Got you. Got you. And uh, Angelica was involved in all sorts of advocacy work with World Vision or Relief. Which one? Relief. relief. I always get this wrong. I always get this wrong. I know. It's so good. Yeah. So y'all so were doing that in Chicago. And then a year ago, you moved back to West Palm Beach, where Jeremy is from. So here's my question. Why return home to plant a new church instead of joining an existing Iglesia Latina? Yeah, that's been a big question. Uh, we get that often, especially um, insider information, because we have a lot of family members who are pastors in churches around this area. Um, I think a lot for us had to do with two things. One, um, the um, uniqueness of planting a church and what it does to a community. Um, we know from Richard's studying and even personal experience that starting a new church is, um, if done right, can bring new believers, can bring evangelism um, into a new community, can can start uh, to find a new flame into a space. So for us, starting a new church had more to do with wanting to see that happening than with not liking the churches that are here, not not thinking that, you know, no, they're not doing the work. For us, we want to join the work that is being done um, by other churches 
whether um, is starting a new church. And um, it also had a lot to do with the who we wanted to plant the church for. Um, and we can get into more details. I don't know if you want us to insert that right now. Jeremy can talk about that more too. But it's, yeah, I think those two things really matter into why a new church um, rather than just joining what's already happening here. Well, well, tell us about the who, because I think that that's an important piece uh, foundationally for us to understand the work and um, what really motivates you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So, so for us, we're on the south side of, of West Palm Beach. Um, there's some who have dubbed our, our community the Latin Quarter. Um, and the reason why is because historically it's been, it's been um, probably the premier um, Latino community in, in West Palm Beach for, for years, since probably the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the community, about 20,000 people, it's, it's, it's not a huge barrio. Um, but it's very densely populated. So it's 20,000 people within our, just our zip code alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were to come to our neighborhood, you would just notice how um, it's kind of like the Florida version of living on top of each other. You see people walking, a hustle, a bustle. And what we noticed was there was about um, three evangelical or evangelical churches. I know that might be a, a controversial friend, yeah. term. I, I don't know where people stand with that, but like um, that we noticed at the very least. And we said, hmm, uh, man, it's, it's not a whole lot of churches in this specific place. And uh, there's a lot of people. And when we think about our own passions and in our own care for the Latino community, being Latinos ourselves, uh, we said, man, we want to we want to we want to be in this place. Um, and then on top of that, just 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 to be real, I've never been in a context that applied the gospel to a lot of the the Latino issues um, that are prevalent in our families, prevalent in our, um, uh, I guess, socioeconomic realities. Uh, So we said, man, what would it look like to, to do that as a church? And we're not definitely not perfect at that. I feel like we're learning every single day. Um, We see ourselves as um, in the struggle with people as well we're not like outside of the struggle Mm -hmm. so so we said man we this is this is why we want to be here because we relate to the community Mm -hmm. uh, and also um, because we we think that there there are faithful churches there we just want to join the work and continue to to uh, mediate God's kingdom alongside other churches Mm -hmm. not not take over can you just very quickly define what you what you see as uh, those issues pertaining particularly to the Latino community? Um, Because there's all kinds of Latino communities, right? So in this community, what are the particular issues that you feel um, you want to make the church relevant to? Mm -hmm. I'll say one of them. Yeah, no, no. Just off the top of my head, one one of the things that I'm really passionate about is um, seeing um, Latino nationalities be reconciled. Uh, and I think that's something I never really, I mean, I, I guess I grew up in a pretty diverse Latino church in terms of nationality, but there was always tension between those nationalities. And our community is almost split down the middle. It's like half Cuban and half Guatemalan. Um, very, very distinct cultures, literally 
coming together in a community, many times don't even talk to each other unless they're like second, third generation. Even that sometimes mm-hmm. um, you, there, there's a, a divide there. Um, so so when, when I look at that issue, um, for me, I don't necessarily think of, I guess, reconciliation or justice issues as just like a black and white thing. I see it as a, na- a national um, dis- mm-hmm. uh, divide thing in our community. So that's just one issue that I've noticed. Yeah, and there's also some other prevalent issues of like identity, for example, finding who you are in the midst of feeling bicultural and a lot of youth in our neighborhood specifically, we're talking about these always struggle with that language issue, right? Like I learned Spanish at home. I don't speak it well enough, but I know it. It clicks on my heart. So, but I also know English and sometimes I don't know how to speak in English. Sometimes I don't know how to speak in Spanish. So I just mix them both. Um, so I need a church, a place where I can mix them both and um, be okay with um, singing a Marcos with follow what by some like classic hymn in English and be okay with that. Um, so I feel like that's one big issue, finding identity, understanding how the gospel and like even how God intentionally uh, this like decides and shapes us, shapes our story, our socioeconomic, um, a lot of issues related to poverty, um, relationship with um, dominant white wamas of our neighbors worked for people that are very rich and have a lot, have experienced a lot of abuse, mistreatment, and that that kind of relationship where um, even though you're trying to find dignity through work and you take your job really seriously, you're not always treated as equal in your job space. Um, opportunities are limited. So a lot of those social and also, I'll say, internal struggles um, we see and, and we know we have faced them ourselves. So mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you indeed. I'm gonna use a word that I always think it's a hilarious word, but it's a it's a good one to describe what you've what you've named here. You're you're doing ministry in kind of a quagmire. Quagmire is such a silly word, isn't it? It's like such a bougie but also funny word to say, but it's a good one to describe the the ambiguity of all of this, right? We're talking about generations, so that there's the language issue, the identity issue. We're also talking about the prejudice that exists between um, regions of Latinidad, right? There's no mm-hmm. doubt that South and Central Americans get treated a kind of way by Caribbeans, right? Uh, and that, and Florida is especially evident in certain pockets of the community. And so, so we've got that kind of national or or regional discord or or disagreement, right? And then you're also talking about you take the whole collective of Latinos and the ways that they experience racial prejudice from wealthy, rich uh, white folk in, in West Palm Beach. So that's what I mean when it's a quagmire, right? There, there's this unudo, right? Of all these complicated issues wrapped together in one community. It's really interesting to think about how you might approach that. And I'm curious about how the light, that's the name of your church that you're planting, mm-hmm. how the light is going to approach ministry differently in light of those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for us, uh, La Luz, uh, the light, uh, it starts with a lot of relationship. I think what we have invested this whole year um, in just presenting presenting ourselves and genuinely living with and alongside the people that we're serving. Um, Things like we live in the neighborhood and our landlord is not always the nicest person to deal with. We just had a just something really annoying happened yesterday, you know, like, 
you, we, we're right there in the middle. Um, and we're not trying to be like, oh, we're here, savior. We're like, we're just here in this struggle, trying to, you know, raise our family. Um, and we're here for you. We're here for your family. Uh, so a lot of the work we have been doing up to now has been um, building relationship with those community partners, the schools, being here, hey, I'm here to serve, what do you need? Um, and now we're up, upcoming, have a job fair because when we were talking to our neighbors, most of them, when we asked them, were like, what, what will be helpful to you? Outside of church, uh, praying for you, Bible study, what will be helpful for your family? Many just mentioned, I need a job or I would like to be paid a little better in my job. I will, I need a better boss. So like, okay, job is a big thing. Let's do something about it. Um, found this partnership or working towards um, this job fair. So I'll see it all in all this. We want to be present and we want people to know that more than we have our agenda, I want to start this Sunday gathering. Like we're here for you to shepherd you, to walk with your family. Um, in any situation that comes up. This is great, Angelica. When I hear you say this, um, this is always the dream that one has in terms of how a church should uh, work in a particular community. And what I ask myself is, what are the gifts and what is the training that the two of you have to make this happen differently than in other churches? In other words, usually the training that persons receive for doing ministry does not include the kinds of things that you have mentioned. Uh, if people do it, they do it out of intuition, but they don't always know how to make those connections, etc. They know that that would be the need, and that's what they would like to see happen. But they don't have they don't have the way of doing the research or finding the partners of even where to look. Tell us a little bit about what that takes. I mean, there's some unique gifts and training that the two of you bring. What is that? Hmm. Yeah, you know, as my wife was talking, it, it just reminded me of um, just having this deep sense that our story, like having having a, a deep sense of, of our, our just our story, that we have a story, um, I think is, 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 is part of our training. And I don't think that's something that, at least personally, we've learned in, in the seminary halls, although we did go to seminary. Uh, we learned that from our families, mm -hmm. um, ironically enough, right? Like our families taught us the importance of, of story, um, the the importance of of how we migrated, how our family migrated to to this country, um, and and I think rehearsing that over time and remembering that um, has gave us this sense of, I guess, relatability with our community that I think somebody who maybe doesn't have those experiences or come from those experiences um, would, would take them a little bit of time to really, really get that. And, and like you said, there, I don't think there's a way that you can really, um, I guess like quantify or qualify. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's just, you, you just, you just got it. And I, I think, I think another thing, um, doctora, that I, I think about personally um, is just the the training of, of honoring our elders. And I'm not talking about church elders. I'm talking about just like the elders of our community. Um, I, I think about when I was a kid one time, um, one of my, my my uncles, we were talking about how do you build credibility? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> how do you get street smart? He, he I think he thought I was a little punk. Um, <laughs> I was afraid and 
and uh he told me he's like yo the way you get street smart if you if you can't fight or anything like that is you got to look out for those of you who are listening and you don't know what that means it essentially means you care for other people in various mm-hmm. different ways you know that and and sometimes that's not like giving people some deep theological truth every time you see them it's by just caring for them in the in the ways that they need you know i need a ride to the store that I need a ride to, or I need help translating for my child at school. You know, I think those kinds of things ingrained in us is what's kind of trained us to be in this community. Yeah. In addition to the different spaces God has brought us from our education and things like that. I don't know talk about, yeah, you need to talk yeah, about I, those spaces too. You're being real humble here, you know. I understand, <laughs> I understand the solidarity and I understand, you know, that, um, Many times, no se habla por, eh, por la ciencia, sino por la experiencia, you know, which is what you're talking about here. It's so mm-hmm. important. Um, but but tell us, that's the informal education. But there's some some formal education here, too, that you bring to this. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I'll talk a little bit about that. So we, I think we both uh, started our vocational journeys, not thinking we were going to be pastors or plant churches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that gave us a really good um, experience outside of this. So Jeremy came to to Bible college wanting to be uh, an artist, to rap about God and to relate to people. So I feel like through that, God has uniquely equipped Jeremy to really be someone that can um, relate, that knows how to talk about culture and things in our environment in a way that people get it. He's also a cool dude, you know, like he dresses like all the other kids in the neighborhood. And so like, it's easy to build rapport. I think that that part of his story really matches well our desire to embody the gospel, but then planting a church already in Chicago and um, being part of a ministry, um, as starting a new ministry when he was in Pursuit College. So all of these experiences has have helped bring on some like leadership experience, relatability. I don't think for me, I didn't think I was going to be in this position when I first went to college, for example. My degree is in inter- international relations, and I really wanted to be a UN ambassador in life. So that that was what, when I first went to college, that, that was my dream. So a lot of what I did was working for nonprofit, um, working in strategy development. Um, so now that God has kind of brought us to this place, I see how some of that background has helped and, and translate. For example, recently my job over relief, helping immigrant families, like has been really helpful to see how to relate or even how to be helpful to our immigrant neighbors, um, knowing where to point them, what does it mean um, to navigate immigration related matters, or even not always speaking on the issue, but knowing where people is coming from. Um, so I think those different experiences, I, God, God knows better the story he's writing. And um, we've seen how um, not always coming from wanting to plant the church has actually helped us now be equipped in different ways to plant this church. So now you're an ambassador for Christ. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I think God has equipped us in that call along the way, you know, yeah. by God's grace, we were able to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get our MDivs. We got um, our, our degrees in uh, intercultural studies. Actually, we met um, in a class. Yeah. 
Hey, the romance story, the romance story. Tell it, tell it. She's following me everywhere, and I finally said, man, sister, all right, fine. Let's, <laughs> we can go on a date. No, there is no great. way anyone believes no. that to be the story. <laughs> no, no, no. Please don't believe that. No, but yeah, so God, God has equipped us in that way. Yeah. Um, by God's grace, academically as well. Um, so I, I think we're we're just trying to, let's maybe marry um, our our training before theological education and our theological education. Um, and and just to be real, um, Doctora, it's really hard for me to reconcile those things mm-hmm. um, because many times theological education is so far removed um, from communities like where we live. Or even, or even the churches that we grew up in, um, and, and I'm not talking about in terms of people having their their degrees from there because they do, but sometimes it's just it just it just doesn't really penetrate with the everyday mm-hmm. struggles of people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's that super helpful. Uh, I'm 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 gonna let Elizabeth speak to that because there's there's something really important and profound you just said there, Jeremy. But I also want to name something that I think is really beautiful about this. The nonprofit work that you did, you mentioned Pursue Scholars, Angelica, and we didn't quite say what that was, but I think it's important to name, right? It's working with youth in neighborhoods that struggle to get to college, to get them to go to colleges and universities that Pursue Scholars has partnered with. That work, right, of, of getting youth to flourish in terms of their education and those educational pursuits is something Jeremy was involved with for a number of years. Your work with with immigrants, with refugees, has given you certain capacities and even certain wells of knowledge related mm-hmm. to those kinds of things that make it easier to be in an immigrant community and understand the kinds of situations immigrants might experience and what you can do mm-hmm. in response. So there are some distinct works that you were a part of in the nonprofit world that make it a lot, uh, uh, that translate well, I think, in terms of working with youth and migrant families now in West. And so there, just as, as Elizabeth said, the experience, the informal, we got two rappers in, in the room today, one ex-rapper, one who can still do it, still has game. Um, but but all that informal We're stuff is- to prove that. Oh, <laughs> no, no, hey, I like that, I like that. Um, you, can put, you can put Jeremy's song as the outro of the- Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll put it as the, out, the outro at the end. Actually, I love that idea. But, uh, but yeah, we have the, all that informal stuff. You've got the theological education, which as you said, is alienating in some degree, but then you have all of the work that you were doing outside of theological education in the nonprofit world. I think that uniquely equipped you for the work you're trying to do in your church. Elizabeth, I don't know if you wanna say more about the cotidiano and the theological education and the way those things can be kind of separate. Well, yeah, I, I think that uh, your struggle in trying to bring those two pieces together is uh, an unnecessary struggle that was brought on by the way that theological education came to you, right? Um, It's theological education for a very different kind of a community. It's theological education with with the purpose of looking at the disciplines more than looking at the people that we're ministering to. And so that's something that needs to be said. And I'm glad that, that you said it. How would you, if you were gonna educate people to do the work that you're doing now, what are the things that you would put into the into that? Just just real quick, just a couple of quick ideas. What what would you put into that kind of education? What would be the curriculum you would create? Hmm. Yes. Thanks, you need a lot of hand hand handwork 
so that you can get in the ground and like see how to talk to people. I feel like sometimes we just don't know how to talk to people. <laughs> um, we we had a meeting once with uh, a sister in our church, and she shared some things. And after we were talking, Jeremy and I were like, we don't, we we have no words for the type of trauma and pain that the sister experienced. Like the best thing to do at that meeting was to cry with her. Like we didn't need it to bring all these theological concepts or go flip pages through the Bible and confuse her even more. Um, sit down and cry with her and pray and just ask her more questions is just enough. Um, so I think we need a lot more training on how to talk to people, how to be honest, how to sit down and listen, um, how to break things down. Um, we, we had faced in our Bible studies that sometimes we notice that uh, uh, some of our people struggle with even reading and comprehending. So we cannot read um, a whole chapter of the book of Romans because we're going to lose people at the first line. We have to do one verse at a time, break it down, make sure we ask people, like, do you know what these words mean in a, in a non-threatening way? And just allow that space to talk. Um, we have to do things like, hey, we need to allot more time to the discussion because 10 minutes is not enough because 10 minutes just go by trying to break down the question that we need to discuss so that we know what we're talking about and then discuss. So like if we have a breakout group for 10 minutes, we won't get to the question because we need to you know, break down this question first. So like a lot of those things that um, how to teach, how to learn, how to speak um, are, are really practical ways that that we can be better shepherds you're talking about doing popular education go ahead uh jeremy right oh i'm sorry no, did i cut you no, off no 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 you didn't no I, yeah I, I would just maybe categorize it as life on life discipleship that's aided by um resources like like reading or tailor-made to what people could actually do according to their strengths right and so like um i think I think about Luke 10. I mean, Jesus, mm -hmm. he was just with his disciples. Prior to Luke 10, he was with them, chilling with them, eating with them. Um, they're seeing his power. They're seeing how people reacted to him. And then in Luke 10, there's a shift that happens, a shift in the atmosphere, if you will. And uh, Jesus, he sends he sends out the 72 two by two. Is that Luke 10? I'm pretty sure it is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, what we see is Jesus actually now saying, hey, go do this work. He gives them power, tells them they need to depend on the people that they're serving, and then they come back, right? So it's kind of like the like people being with us life on life, learning from us by just living with us, seeing what we do in Jesus' name, and then us giving them responsibility, and then coming back and just processing that, yo, what happened? What was that like? Why did you struggle? Man, you did that so well. Um, let's let's get some resources under that to fan that flame, or maybe let's let's talk about this particular area that you're struggling with. You know those kinds of things. Mentoring. Um, mentoring. Yes. Mentoring. Yes. But it's, like, it's are you sure you just want to come and just <laughs> be with us? It's a different kind of mentoring because usually we think of mentoring in a more you know formal kind of a way. You know, you set it up. Mm -hmm. But this kind of mentoring is a is a is a, a living with mentoring, right? Yeah. 
It's interesting in Kazakhstan, just as a quick side note, that's how they train pastors is mm -hmm. uh, you live with the pastor, you watch the pastor doing what he or she does. And, um, and then you start by being a servant. Mm -hmm. You start by being a servant. And the first thing you learn how to do is to bake a cake for hospitality. Hmm. And it's a very poor community. And so sometimes you don't have eggs. Sometimes you don't have enough flour, whatever it is. So you have to be really creative in baking this cake and make sure it still tastes good and it still holds together. And that's one of the first things that you have to do. So it's about problem solving, right? Because you have to problem solve how to, how to bake a cake in a poor community. So, um, and, and it's about relationship because you have to see who has the chicken that has the eggs and, you know, that whole thing. So it's very interesting. Um, so it's that kind of mentoring that you've been talking about. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, uh, that's really important. It's the solidarity part, the life experience part, the living with the people, the mentoring piece. Um, and it's very important also the trust. You didn't say the word trust, but trusting mm -hmm. because you, in order to send people out who have just sort of, you know, been here uh, a little bit watching this or watching that and the trust that you send them out to also do it. And then of course you come back and you debrief, right? But you have to trust them. And that's the most empowering piece. Yeah. I like the way you make the word very central to what you do. And through the word, then you're teaching people skills of reading and comprehension, but you're also teaching people skills of critical thinking, mm -hmm. uh, of finding their own thoughts. That's, that's a, a big thing, you know, finding your own thoughts. Those are very empowering things, and that's where transformation starts. Anyway, I could go on forever, but it's just I see such richness, right, in what you all have done, such tremendous richness in what you've done. So I'm very encouraged to see that, and I hope that those listening um, will think about what is the, the kind of preparation that um, they're going to need to supplement how we do ministry. Thank you. Yeah. On that note, let's take a quick musical break. We've talked about some of the good things, some of the education, some of the stuff happened in the background. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the challenges and some of the relational dynamics that come up as you try to enter into ministry the way that Angelica and Jeremy have. So we'll take a quick musical break and then we'll be back for the challenges. So we've been talking to Angelica Araona, church planters, leaders of the Light Church in West Palm Beach. We're really excited to be talking to them because they are trying to plant a bicultural Latina church as second generation folks who are coming back to a community to plant the church. And I want to ask, since we've talked about some of the positive things and some of the training that you've had to prepare you for this, I want to know what, what are some of the challenges? Maybe what's one of the biggest challenges you've faced so far in this first year 
of returning home to plant the church? Yeah, I would probably say that the biggest challenge that we faced has been expectations from from other Christians that are rooted in churches um, in and around our community uh, that have certain expectations for how our our ministry should look like mm-hmm. um, in, in the community. Uh, we've had people straight up just come to our gatherings and just like immediately start suggesting things. You should do this. You should do that. Um, I've had people, <laughs> yeah, just maybe um, mis- misunderstand what we're trying to do mm-hmm. um, as as a church, what we believe God has called us to do. Mm-hmm. And it's it just it just brought on a lot of stress and sometimes even un unneeded um pastoral like <laughs> maybe shepherding or it's like man like I, I gotta go meet with this person but they're not really part of or even looking to be part of our church but like I just need them to stop suggesting things you know like those things can be really really hard at least for me um because yeah. we don't want to know offend people either or tell them like you don't know what you're doing but in some ways it's like unless you're really willing to go in this journey alongside us in our neighborhood unless you really understand or try to embody christ in this space like we're not we're not looking for extra suggestions (laughs) um and unless we come to you and ask hey what do you think about this like um it's not helpful and i think for us like we really just want to take um, we want to be wise and want to hear and and really be guided by others. And it's not like we don't we think we have it all together, but at the same time, it's like we we do feel like God has given us a plan and an idea of how He wants this church to be birthed. So um, it's it's hard to to navigate that to remain as a godly person and like you know know how to manage. It's more like uh, it's not so much what they say, although that's part of it, but also the spirit in which they come, right? Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So in that spirit, then, tell me about the role of women in your church, because that's a really uh, important, there's a big piece when you immigrate, roles of women change because of the situations that they're now facing in their day-to-day, et cetera. What have you found and how have you navigated that for helping people to understand that with the understandings that you may have about how Jesus dealt with women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so w- right now we we... We're a very, very small team. So we're, we're, we're 10 people, um, most of which I think are men or maybe split down. The I think it's split. Well, we have two women, two youth, female youth, and then the rest are guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I think because of that, that, that brings, I mean, in very different age ages. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about like the role of, of women, I would say that we we want to equip our our women to to be in ministry mm-hmm. um, in the community. 
um, and within the church. And we want to fan the, the the flame of of the gifts that we see yeah. in First Corinthians chapter twelve within women. Um, with that being said, I think I think sometimes how do I say? Um, depending on which culture we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Like like for for women, we have to in some ways like teach them that they actually do have gifts given by God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to, we have to kind of encourage them and tell them like, yo, we want to, we want to see you flourish in those gifts. And we want to equip you in, in, in doing those gifts um, here at this church and, and for the sake of our community. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I would just add that a lot of, what we've seen and I think based of the immigration piece as well is that there's a story. All of our all of the women that, that are part of our church or even the sisters that, that I'm I'm in touch that we said they will be part of the church eventually. They they just don't know it yet. Um there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of grievances and a lot of heaviness. Um lot, we have um relationship with many women who are single moms. Um, to have faced severe abuse, um, domestic violence. So uh, it's not just like, okay, go serve. Like you got a, a role. In some ways, we also have to deal with those elephants in the room. You know, we have to be uh, listening and supporting and shepherding. Uh, and um, one thing that broke my heart and it still grieves me is we were sitting with one sister and she told us, you are the first pastors who ever asked me my story and listen. She never had a pastor or a pastor's wife or anybody in a church heard her story in full. And it, is, it was a really hard to hear type of story. Um, and we were just grateful that she was willing to share with us. Um, but that grieved me. It grieved me that the church, at least for her, hasn't been a place where she can process um, the pains that she had had and for me, it was just a joy to hear that she was still alive, that she hasn't taken her life after all the things she had faced. Um, so in so many ways, I think we have to start there when it comes to um, our sisters um, and understanding that different cultures play different roles. Um, and we have um, sisters in our neighborhood that are very vocal, but also we have women that is so hard to get them to talk to you, even for me as a female. Um, it takes me like a lot of relational building and trust for them to like tell me really how they're doing today. Um, so understanding those dynamics, but also acknowledging that there's a story behind their story. And the fact that they're in these countries is not always a joyful thing. Um, it's weighty, it's heavy, comes with a big burden and acknowledging that. And, and, and our hope is to bring the light of the gospel into those spaces um, that we can see full restoration in women's life and and for them to go from a place of brokenness and fear and insecurity in many ways to a place of confidence in the Lord and of being able to serve and thrive. And in some way, as the Proverbs 31 women laugh at the future because they know where their confidence is at. Um, So that's that's my dream for, for the sisters in our neighborhood, that they can see in our church a place of healing, a place of um, where they're cared for, and then a place where they can discover all that God desires for their life. So you've described the steps that it takes for empowerment, for women empowerment. And, and in your case, it has to start with the healing piece. And the healing piece yes. has to start with 
the creating the trust so that you can um, encourage people to tell their story and then you really have to listen to those right. stories so that then you know what it's going to take to walk with them toward that healing place and eventually that place of flourishing. And one thing people don't always understand is that coming into your gifts is not about serving God. Oh, mm -hmm. you know it. It's about um, coming into the fullness of you, who you were created to be in the image of God. And that's extremely powerful when any person comes into that, into that sense of being. Um, so you said something, Jeremy, at the beginning, which was really interesting. And you talked about uh, reconciling the nationalities, right? Mm -hmm. so this too is a part of, of what you're trying to do. And it's an important piece for helping the different generations and the different nationalities being able to walk with each other. Uh, they're in overlapping spaces with each other. Those overlapping spaces are new to them. So learning how to navigate them, et cetera, is a difficult thing. And then you talked about how communication has been an important piece in terms of your own preparation for that. So say a little bit about how you use, you know, pastors have to inspire people, motivate people, uh, and motivation is a big part of how you do that. You talked about Bible study, but then there's also preaching and there's the, the fullness of what a good worship experience should involve. How do you get people to deal with these nationality pieces, these overlapping spaces that they don't know how to navigate? Food. Ah, <laughs> let's so, talk about it. Four simple letters, for, right? <laughs> yeah. For, so I so it's am, interesting. Just real quick, I'm totally cutting that, and that's going to be the clip that we promote with. Just right, right. <laughs> How do you navigate all these different issues of culture and language, et cetera, et cetera? Food. Ooh. That's the answer. I love it. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Sorry to interrupt you. No, yeah. So, 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 so it's interesting. Um, I, I would say food and sports. Actually, mm -hmm. um, with food, uh, food just has a natural way of, of getting people to talk, share one another's story. Who who wants to go to a barbecue where ain't nobody talking? Right? Like it ain't it ain't really a barbecue, um, right? But I think also sports. So like for me. Um, I go play basketball with a group of guys on Wednesdays for my community. We're all 30 and up and we play against the young guys anyways. But <laughs> um, we, uh, it, it's interesting. One of what I was at the basketball court and um, we're pretty diverse. Doctor, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually by culture. I'm half Ecuadorian, half Salvadorian. And my mom is from a coastal city in Ecuador, Guayaquil, which is very different from the rest of Ecuador. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, I always tell people in my community, I'm 100% confundido because they're very very different cultures. So I'm, I'm at the basketball court. I'm telling that to a guy. Um, he's second generation. And he tells me, bro, you're a tira flecha. That's what we call tira flecha. Like you're half tira flecha. And I'm just like, what? And what he meant was, you're indigenous. He's like, bro, bro, that's like a very disrespectful thing for, for us Cubans to tell that to other people. And it was crazy because right there on the basketball court, we're just talking about like those tensions. And at first, to be honest, like I was so like caught off guard that I didn't even know how to take that myself. Right? <laughs> like I'm like, what? You're processing like, it while he steps away in the conversation. Right, right. And I think he noticed my reaction and was just like, yo, that's offensive. My bad. I'll never joke around with you like that again. Um, but man, like 
it, it, it provided a space for opportunity. But the crazy thing is we play on the same team many of the times that we go play. And I think playing on the same team affords us the opportunity to joke around and maybe even make some mistakes along the way and have the opportunity to talk mm -hmm. about it. Um, so I think, yeah, we just need to create some space, mm -hmm. some some um, some safe some safe third spaces where we can just do what we love to do and see what happens. I will add with the food piece that for us it's been really important to find food that is local to West Palm and not necessarily local to any specific community. So we're not always like serving, for example, just the Cuban food. Um, we do the um, pollo tropical, which is something that everybody likes. Um, so trying to find that third space so that we're not like, oh, they're a quote unquote Venezuelan church because she's Venezuelan and like they only eat arepas or um, he's Salvadoran. So we only are going to eat pupusas. Like we're trying to like really navigate that wisely and find that third space that accommodates everybody. Um, and it's like, okay, we all like Cuban coffee. So we're all getting Cuban coffee, even though we're not all Cuban. But we're also getting these other things that you know make everybody feel like your culture is appreciated, your your gift to the world is appreciated in the in our space. What I like about what the two of you are saying is that these spaces of food and sports, which we, we usually say, okay, so let's you know let's let's play a game or whatever, and then we just jump into it. But that you are intentional about how you use those spaces and how you set up those spaces, and that's really important to be said, right? That the koinonia of the church which says all of these pieces that we need to be intentional about what it is that we're in, that we're embracing and, and what we want to age here. So that's a, that's a growing space. That's a discipling space, actually, the way that the two of you are describing it. Tell us a little bit about La Ventanita. Hmm. Yeah. So La Ventanita. So, so if you were come come to South Florida, West Palm, to, to Miami, um, namely in Miami, but West Palm Beach has adopted this culture where we live. There's this, these little walk-up windows where you, where it's typically Cuban food. Um, I think they're all Cuban food, actually. Tacos yeah. And yeah. yeah, and and pretty much it's a walk-up window where you can order food. Many of them are, are actually 24 hours. But if you were to go to, to a few um, around our neighborhood, you would notice that's the place where Many people just chill, hang, people playing dominoes, that kind of thing. Um, so when for me growing up, that space was really important. Um, so uh, when we moved back, we wanted to document our journey and just kind of in real time and process it. And I said, man, what represented a space to process for me growing up? I said, La Ventanita. It's the third space in the community. It's where we hang. It's where I hang. So we said, when well, we're going to do a podcast where we're essentially going to call it La Ventanita and it's going to be a digital Ventanita where you can get food for thought as you kind of hear us process this journey of church planting. What I love about La Ventanita is that it gives people window into the actual application of things that sometimes at the Mestizo podcast we talk about only in theory. Right. Y'all have talked about successes and failures. Right. That that Chick-fil-A kind of gathering event. Trying speaking of trying to get people around third third space food. Right. Food that's not for not Latino in that sense. The Chick-fil-A event didn't quite succeed. It wasn't quite a success. He couldn't give it away. 
people were more willing to talk to us about Jesus instead of taking Chick Fil A. It was crazy. <laughs> so Not even the homeless guy. <laughs> man, wouldn't take a Chick Fil A sandwich. Which here in Chicago, you give someone a Chick Fil A sandwich and they think they're in the third heaven, right? Like they're they're way up in the skies, right? But well, why are we talking about Chick Fil A? We were talking about este pollo tropical, you know? Right. Yeah, pollo tropical would have worked. But, but what I love about La Ventanita is y'all talk about that. Things that have went well, things that haven't gone well, things that you're struggling with. Y'all have brought some of the youth from, from your uh, activities, your Bible studies into the podcast. So there's a kind of learning that's happening that's mm-hmm. that's across the board, right? Some less formal even. The teenagers, when they came and brought their, their insights about the church, that was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And shameless plug, La Ventanita podcast is part of the World Outspoken Network. You can find it on the World Outspoken website, or you can just look up La Ventanita podcast. And I think that's where we want to wrap up. We want to tell pe- point people to the La Ventanita to say, learn more about the Light Church West Palm Beach by going and listening to the story that's already been recorded. But of course, we also want to point them to the actual church gathering and what y'all are doing and maybe next steps. So I want to give y'all a chance here as we wrap up to to invite people into the journey in, in whatever ways you think you want to do that. So how should people be following along or even joining your work? If you're listening to this podcast and you feel distant from God, um, maybe you feel ashamed because of what you've done or, or the way your life's played out. Uh, if you're listening to this, I just want to say God hasn't forgotten you. I want to tell you what I tell people on my block all the time. God hasn't forgotten you. God sees you, and if you're listening to this, he's trying to draw you in, and he loves you very, very much, and he wants to restore you, and he wants to um, use you greatly for his kingdom and empower you to be all that he's called you to be. Um, If you are um, a believer, man, I want to encourage you to see all of life and all that God has given you as a platform for discipleship. God wants to call you um, to, to, to follow him and obey him to a greater degree. And uh, we want to encourage you to, to, to maybe follow him with us. Um, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus that light up the world. Uh, we know that we're helping people follow Jesus when, when, when they're lighting up the world in whatever mm-hmm. space that they're in. Um, so we want to encourage you um, to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to, to, to see all of life as God's theater where he's weaving his story and yours. Mm-hmm. And uh, we pray that um, God would continue to, to, to light you up. Um, that's, that's, that's what I was saying. So check us out. Um, hopefully you can um, see that through our social media um, on Instagram. It's at the light WPB. Um, and then our website is www.thelightwpb.com. And there you can see resources, see what we're doing in order to help you in that journey. Yeah, I would just add that all current events, everything that we're we're doing, um, you can check it out on our website. And um, we don't know if anybody from West Palm is here or anybody like doc, Dr. Elizabeth that, who might come to West Palm Beach now. Now we, we're declaring <laughs> that you know, during that journey of coming to join this church, uh, all of our events are there and um, we're Pray for us. We're still discerning um, things as timing for our gatherings. What's next? Uh, what the new year is going to look like? So um, if you're not around the area, pray for us. Um, pray for God's work in this space. I said, it's very spiritual work. Um, and we know 
we know it, we, we feel it. So um, pray for us, give us a call, uh, send us a message and we'll love to talk to you if you have more questions. Speaking of send, oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. No, just as you're listening, keep in mind that being a mestizo people in ministry is about healing, empowerment, intentional koinonia, and spaces of mentoring. Thank you for sharing those pieces with us. We've learned a great deal here today. We've been affirmed as well as challenged. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you. Hey, as we wrap up for the listeners, the last episode of the season is always the episode where we answer listener questions. And so this is the last episode where we're doing an interview. We're having a guest and it's just a mailbag episode to wrap up season three of the Mestizo podcast. Can you believe it that we've made it three seasons? Wow. It's really incredible. But make sure that you're sending in those questions. You can do that by, again, calling 312-725-2995. That's 312-725-2995. You can leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, city, pregunta, and we'll take it on that last episode. You can also write in the question by using the link that's on the show notes of this episode. So please, this is your chance to get Elizabeth talking about some things, me talking about some things, clarifying things that have come up in the season. This is an opportunity to engage us. Follow us at World Outspoken on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow the light at the light WPB or go to their website, the light WPB.com. Did I get that right? It's .com. Yeah. Uh, we'll make sure to add that on all of the uh, show notes as well. And let me just say, it is a privilege to watch y'all and to hear and to just be a part of listening to and following along as you do this hard labor of trying to plant seeds in new soil or an old soil, depending on how we look at it. Right. But trying to plant seeds again, um, it's it's really a privilege. And so thank you for sharing your story and being with us today on the Mestizo podcast. Elizabeth, what do you say if we give them the last day? How does that feel? Absolutely. Y'all get the last word. All right. Well, family, you're listening to the Mestizo podcast, and I just want to leave you with a blessing from Numbers chapter six. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. May the Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. And that's our prayer for you today as you journey in your ministry and in your life. God bless you. Amen. Y con eso se acabó.